wish uh, Carl hadn't told us to, at the start to reach over and kiss our mom on the cheek next to us because I did that, but my mom's not here. So I don't know who that was. <laughs> I had a, my first ministry was up in northwest Missouri and um, I, I left there after 15 years because I ran out of stories. And I stayed here exactly 15 years because I used all them stories again and then I ran out. I didn't get any new ones. But I'm starting over. And the, the, only, the onlyest one kind of along that line I know was about Johnny. And Johnny was sitting in class one day, and the teacher said, class, I have to step out for a few minutes. And uh, I want you guys just to kind of work on stuff there at your desk, and, and I'll be right back. And as soon as the door closed, Johnny ran up, and he wrote on the board, and he said, I want to kiss the teacher. And so he ran back and sat down in his seat and kind of, you know, sheepishly. And the teacher came back and she saw that first thing. And she said, now who did that? And all the class, you can imagine what they did. Johnny did, Johnny did it, Johnny did it. And she just said, Johnny, when we get ready to do recess here in a few minutes, she said, I want you to stay after class. And so teacher dismissed him. They went out for recess and the kids was imagining all kind of things. We're waiting for him outside. They figured, man, he, he had to write on the chalkboard a hundred times or, or maybe even she got out the paddle or whatever it was. And, and pretty soon, here comes Johnny. The door opened and he came out and they said, what happened? Did, you, did she paddle you? Did, you? did you have to write on the board? Did you have to stay after class? What, what happened? And he said, well, I really can't say, but it sure pays to advertise. <laughs> we... Uh, we do want to underscore again about next Lord's Day, about Jim Freck being here. He's the candidate that the leadership has selected to be our senior minister next. And he and his family will be here, and Jim will be preaching in the one combined service at 10. That should go about an hour, hour and five minutes or so, and uh, we'll dismiss that, but then have a business meeting as part of that, and you'll get to know him a little better. And uh, then you have an opportunity to ask them, him, maybe them, questions, and then we'll vote on him after that. So please be here for that. It's important to us for you to be here and uh, be part of that process. We, uh, and again, the big thing of that is not just the gym here, but the schedule change. We, we can't emphasize that enough. One service at 10. We again want to wish you happy Mother's Day and please go out and do the picture. If you haven't done the picture, I'm going to grab you all when you're going out the door to do the picture. We want you to have that. We think it's important and a good thing. I, I know in, in being the leader of the church for 30 years that Mother's Day is a very, very beautiful, special occasion, but it's also a difficult one for many for a variety of reasons. I, first on my mind is always the moms that are here and in some cases not here that have lost a child. And, and that, that just has to be foremost in your mind on Mother's Day. I can't imagine that. At one time, we had, at least that I knew of and was conscious of, about nine 
mothers in the church that had lost a child. Wow. Somebody pointed out to me while I was still in ministry, there are ladies and moms that that had miscarriages that still think about that. Maybe you're in the same boat as me and know that this will likely be the last Mother's Day with your mom. My mom has uh, cancer. That's why I was gone a few weeks ago. Uh, that's spreading in her body now. It's in the liver and so forth. And uh, we've made other arrangements that she stays uh, right now with my brother back in Ohio, which is not where she's lived for a long time. But and she has uh, more good days right now than bad days. But the bad days are getting more numerous. We covet your prayers for our family, but I just say that because you just don't know when the last one will be. And so we appreciate the ones we still have. I hope your mom is still here, maybe even here. And I hope they're, if not, they're in heaven. I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. Uh, my approach to this, not ever done this yet, and now... And I might say, I don't think I've ever said this in our, in our four months together. I may repeat jokes, but I don't repeat sermons. So it's a fresh new one every week, okay? And, and uh, I'd never done approach Mother's Day this way before, but I, I went through lots of neat mom stories in the Bible and accounts when I say story, we a lot of times get the idea it wasn't necessarily true, but these are accounts that were true, and there's many of them, a dozen of them, or better, that we could use this morning to underscore uh, what's important to Christian moms, and based on biblical examples, there's a lot of them. I just happen to have picked out three of them this morning, um, maybe somewhat lesser known ones uh, that we don't hear about a lot, like talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and so forth. Um, but there's a lot of good ones, and I encourage you to look deeper into that, maybe even reading through the Word with that kind of thing in mind. Um, so what makes a, a great mom? And, and we've got some great examples in the Bible of some mothers and even a grandmother. There's actually three counts, but four ladies. Um, what, what made them notable mothers in the Bible? Uh, some cases there's pretty elaborate description of that. In other cases there's just scant mention, but it's enough for us to get an idea of what was important to them. First of all, out of uh, 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2, and uh, this is the story of Hannah. And there's several chapters devoted to Hannah and being the mother of Samuel. And I'll pick out a few verses to read, but the first notable thing about Hannah is that she wasn't a mother. When the account began, she wasn't a mother and wasn't going to be a mother. And I don't know why, but it seems to point out 
very deliberately that God hadn't yet allowed her to be a mother. He was kind of responsible for that, for her not being able to have a child. And I suppose it's just a guess on my part because of the way it played out, but I supposed that's so he could bring about the birth of her special son in incredible circumstances, almost miraculous circumstances. And maybe a bit to reveal Hannah's character and devotion to him. Now, we see two things about Hannah. Hannah was a prayer. She was constantly praying. There are a number of references in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 1 Samuel chapter 2 about Hannah going to the temple and about Hannah praying. And then, really, the whole chapter 2 of 1 Samuel is one of the most beautiful prayers in the Word of God. And that's Hannah praying that. You should read that sometime if you've not ever done that. We won't have time this morning to read all that, but just an absolutely beautiful prayer. Now, before that, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. In bitterness of soul, and that wasn't really because she couldn't have a child, although that was part of it, but it was because her husband's other wife, he had two wives, had children and kept making fun of her for not being able to have children. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much, and she prayed to the Lord. Verse 11, and she made a vow as part of her prayer. O Lord Almighty, if you only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. So she prays, and then she makes a vow to the Lord. Lord, up till now I haven't been able to have a child, but if you'll give me a child, specifically a son, I'll give him back to you for all his life. Now chapter 1, verse 20, just skipping down a few verses. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived, and she gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Now, Hannah was constantly praying, but as this account unfolds, we'll also see that she kept her promise to God. God kept his promise. Hannah is going to keep her promise. Her son became one of the greatest prophets of God's people. Again, I encourage you in 1 Samuel chapter 2 to read her prayer. This is what she did. After her son was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, 
and, and this could possibly be, for us nowadays, it'd be a shorter period of time, maybe a year or something like that, but back then it could have been two or three or four years old even. She took an ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they'd slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, the priest, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. That's when she prayed and when she made that vow. I prayed for this child. And the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. I cannot imagine that. I cannot imagine that. But she made this promise. And because God blessed her that way, she kept this promise of bringing her son to the temple to be involved from an early age in the work of God, in the worship of God. It says right there, in the worship of God. Now she would visit him and, and different things like that. But she prayed, she kept her promise, and God turned her son into the one, one of the greatest prophets of his people. Now, what do we want to take home from that? Pray for your children. Pray for them before they're born. In Hannah's case, even before they're conceived. Pray for your children. If you haven't done much of that, start now. Start today. Even if they're grown up, start now. Pray for your children. Not just their well-being, not just their safety, not just when they're having problems or difficult times or whatever. Pray for their relationship with the Lord and dedicate them to the Lord. Number two, this is in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Kind of just an obscure reference here by Paul as he writes to Timothy, his son in the faith and traveling companion and so forth, but it, it's a significant one. Two ladies. Paul says in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1 and beginning with verse 4, Timothy, recalling your tears, I long to see you. I'm anxious to see you so that I can be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith with first lived in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded or convinced that sincere faith now lives in you also. Now I think the key thing there is with, with Hannah, it was, it was prayer, it was keeping her promise to the Lord, making a vow, and then keeping that. As difficult as that would have been. For here are the key thing that's mentioned, and you can see that lived out in the life of Timothy, 
even though we hardly know anything about his mom and his grandma, is their sincere faith. You first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. Now the first thing that occurs to me is, where's the men here? Where's grandpa? Where's dad? Now, Dad's mentioned in another place in Acts chapter 16 and verse 1. It's kind of given a little bit of a summary about Timothy. And it says that his mother was a a Jewish lady and a believer. But his dad was a Greek. And the idea there is not a believer, even though it doesn't finish that. But he wasn't a follower of Christ. So, there's a lot of stories like this. You ask Bryce, my son-in-law, or my parents who worked down there many, many decades. In, in the Caribbean, this is much more usual than unusual where the spiritual leader in the home is mom. Because dad's often not around or doesn't care or whatever, other things are more important. There are many, 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 many stories like this where mom is the main spiritual influence in the family. That was true in ours with my grandmother. A very very sweet, soft-spoken, kindly lady when her husband wasn't a Christian. And she sought to influence her family that way, by her example, by her encouragement. She said, it lived in the two ladies, your mom and your grandma, and Timothy, it now lives in you. Lois, grandma, decided to run the faith race. I'm guessing, though I don't know that, I'm guessing she was the first in the family. When she decided to run that faith race, she wasn't necessarily fast, but she was determined. And she picked up the baton, and she carried that. And she gradually handed it off to her daughter, Eunice, who did the same thing. Carried that baton of faith, of sincere faith, throughout the race, throughout her life, and passed it on to Timothy, and he continued to run with it even stronger. Now, as far as we know, I want to read into it, but those two ladies weren't concerned, or at least most concerned, with leaving their daughter and then her son, money, or a house, or land, or jewels, or livestock, or whatever. They were most concerned that their legacy, what they leave their children, is sincere faith in God. What's the lesson? 
if we've been handed that baton by parents or grandparents or whatever, we continue to get that and we're the fresh runner and we carry that baton and we keep going and we determine we're going to hand that off strongly to the next generation. Maybe nobody ever handed you that baton. That may have very well been true with Timothy's grandmother. You pick it up and you begin the race. Start that legacy. In Matthew chapter 20, finally, we'll close with this last one. And this one generally gets negative press. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 23, and we're heading toward Jesus' death, just days away from that. And so James and John have been with Jesus for about three and a half years or so. And they've enjoyed special status with him and gotten to do things and see things that, that only about three of the twelve uh, apostles got to do. So they, they very much were kind of inner circle with Jesus. And here comes mom. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. And then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of Jesus. What is it you want? She said, will you grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in the kingdom? And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And we can, they answered. And then he goes on to explain to them that, that that's not for me to grant. My father does that. But interestingly, he doesn't, be right, Mom, like we often do. And even when the other disciples are upset at them, at those two, and probably at Mom, he kind of defends them in that. Not that her request was the right thing to do, but there, in context, I think this is the good part of it play devil's advocate for a minute. I get, well, no, you don't say that in church, do you? No, play God's advocate in this. She may have, probably did, want them to have some kind of special place with Jesus. And, and they kind of did already. When he comes into his kingdom, and whether she knew about life beyond earthly death, yet, or she was just thinking, like a lot of people, that Jesus is going to establish an earthly kingdom, and it's obvious because of the things he can do, and the followers he's drawing, and all that, that he, he'd probably become king, and, and I'd like my sons to be right there, right in the thick of that, right in the middle of it. Yeah, she may have wanted that as a mom, as a parent, and who, who among us wouldn't? But the important thing is she wanted them to be with Jesus. 
She wanted them to be with Jesus. Do you pray to God and Jesus about your kids being with Him? Do we, do we talk to them about the importance of that? That mom did. Such a neat occasion to think about how each of us has been blessed by our parents, specifically our, our moms today, and grandmas. I, 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 at this stage in my life, I like how Paul pointed that out about Timothy's grandma, because we get in that role if we live long enough. And uh, what a blessing. It means that we can still have influence, not just with our kids, but with our grandkids. Let's stand right now. We're going to sing a hymn of decision. And uh, foremost, this is always about us making a decision for Jesus Christ. Maybe it's for the first time. You've never done that. You've never given your life to him. You've never done the most important thing that we could ever do and that we're put here to do. Don't put that off. Maybe today it's just about what we're talking about from these biblical examples of mothers of praying for our kids and instilling a sincere faith in our kids and wanting them to be with Jesus. Let's sing together. Three things real fast. Don't forget the time schedule change next week. Our worship service at 10 o'clock. Jim will be preaching and then we'll have a meeting about uh, approving him as our new senior minister next week. So schedule change. Number two, I'm getting old and I forgot number two. Uh, let me think of it. Well, I'll move three up to two, okay? Um, we, uh, oh, I remembered two. Wait a minute. And then I'll forget three. Uh, Barbara Coltharp, many of you know, of course, and Barbara sit back here, is not well. Um, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily life-threatening, but she's just in agony with uh, kind of injuries from a fall and can't hardly move, much less get out. Uh, So keep her in your prayers, and some have suggested maybe sending her a card, if you would, just by way of encouragement. Uh, The address is in, church office has it, or it's in the the, uh, books and and, uh, that kind of thing. Um, It didn't hit me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, you've been so good to us, and we're grateful for the examples in your word of of uh, the mothers that had great influence in their families and and affected the whole kingdom, the whole spiritual kingdom, and in some cases the the, um, atmosphere of the land, Father, through their devotion to their children and to you. And Father, we pray for that. We're also grateful for the, the examples of our own mothers and grandmothers. And, and Father, we, we want to be the next ones as parents to carry that on and uh, make sure that faith is instilled in uh, our next generation and our kids. In our son's name we pray.